Villas Grace Church. Building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know Him, to grow in Him, to go with Him. We continue our series in John. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the work that we see you doing here at Villa's Grace Church. I pray that we can continue to learn how to follow your lead, your guidance. I pray that we can be a church that shares our faith so people come to a saving faith in you. We want to pray also for the conflict that's going on in the Middle East, specifically in Israel, between Israel and Hamas. Lord, we pray for peace, but we know peace will only be established upon your return. We pray between now and then, people can come to know you as their Savior. We pray these requests in Christ's name, who makes it possible. Amen. Some of you have heard the term woke. It's been popularized over the last few years for sure. I just want to give you a quick definition of of woke here. This isn't exhaustive. In fact, if you want to know the truth, I kind of eliminated a few things, but this definition kind of gives you the overall general sense of what it means to be woke. Basically, it's this. It's to be aware of and actively attentive to important societal facts and issues. See, wokeness has infiltrated all aspects of our society. However, allow me to just introduce to you one aspect of the many that have been introduced into society. And that one aspect is what we would call woke mathematics. Now, what you're looking at right now is just that. This is what woke mathematics looks like. One plus one equals three. Hmm. Interesting, because I thought wokeness was to be aware of important societal facts, like the math fact that one plus one equals two. Quite clearly, this simple illustration demonstrates that woke is broke. Mathematics is not a subjective subject. In fact, it's objective fact. And speaking of mathematics, do you remember all the way back in elementary school when you first learned less than, greater than, or equal to? A number less than another one, greater than another number, or equal to another number is actually objective fact as well. See, wokeness is really a subjective awareness to important societal facts. So according to the prevailing wokeness that we are inundated with today, something or someone being less than, greater than, or equal to is a matter of the individual's opinion. That's really all wokeness is. It's just somebody's opinion. So if you think somebody's less than or greater than somebody else, that's your prerogative. Or if you want to say that someone's equal to somebody else, then, you know, you just go ahead and suit your fancy and declare them as much. Brothers and sisters, the longer I walk with the Lord, the more I begin to realize how dangerous opinions can be. Therefore, I don't want subjective 
truth. What I want is objective truth. I want to know the objective, absolute truth about Jesus. And that truth is found in our sermon's title this morning, which states, Jesus equals God. Jesus equals God. And as promised, we are still going through the Gospel of John. We are in chapter 5, looking at verses 18 through 24 this morning. Last week, we can't forget the Pastor Jared's sermon titled, Enemies of Salvation. And in that sermon, we recognize that superstitions and false religions are obstacles to salvation. It was also noted that faith and superstitions can rob you of the power of Christ, as well as that false religion always brings death. Whereas Jesus himself, and we're going to see this today, brings life. We're going to hear him say, the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. So for those of you note takers here at Villa's Grace, I would encourage you to write these five things down. We're going to cover these five things this morning. And if you don't get them all in one shot here, trust me, you will have plenty of time as we go through this sermon to write these down. The first would be this. Jesus is equal to God in person. Jesus is equal to God in person. The second would be Jesus is equal to God in works. Jesus is equal to God in works. The third thing we're going to recognize this morning is this. Jesus is equal to God in power. Jesus is equal to God in power. We're also going to recognize for the fourth thing that Jesus is equal to God in judgment. Jesus is equal to God in judgment. And the fifth thing and final thing that we're going to recognize this morning is this. Jesus is equal to God in honor. Jesus is equal to God in honor. In fact, you could also put glory. Jesus is equal to God in honor and glory. So let's go ahead and get into our text and see how these five truths come to life right here in John chapter 5, verses 18 through 24. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he had not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in the same way. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the Father will show him greater works than these so that you will be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son. So that all will honor the Son just as they honor the Father. The one who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, the one who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Amen. 
As we look to put all of these verses into one sentence, that sentence is very simple, and it states those five points that we already established. And it states this, Jesus is equal to God in person, works, power, judgment, and honor. Jesus is equal to God in person, works, power, judgment, and honor. So let's go ahead and start off right here in verse 18, and we're going to cover that first point, that Jesus equals God in person. You'll notice verse 17 is actually on the screen for you, and that's because Pastor Jared covered verse 17 last week, but it also ties in as we preach in context right here in John chapter 5 to what we're seeing in verses 18 through 24. Where does it say? It says, my father is working in sin now, and I myself am working. See, this actually reveals an overlooked truth about the Sabbath. We know from Mark 2, verse 27, I'm just going to read it for you really quick. It states, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Jesus makes this statement in verse 17 because he was being accused of healing on the Sabbath. He was being accused of breaking the law by healing on the Sabbath. Remember, he healed the lame man in Bethsaida, brothers and sisters though. I don't know about you, I really can't speak for you, but I'm going to go ahead and just take a moment right here and speak for myself. And what I want to say is this, I sure am glad, and again, I don't know about you, but I sure am glad that Jesus and God do not take days off. Now, in Genesis 2, 2, we understand that he rested on the seventh day from all of his work, but his rest was not due to exhaustion. It wasn't like God created in six days and he was so tired he had to take a break on the seventh. In fact, we know this is true. Let's go back to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28, where God's word tells us, Do you not know, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is unsearchable. A weary or tired God cannot sustain gravity. A weary or tired God cannot sustain the air in the atmosphere. A weary or tired God cannot sustain the flames coming from the sun. A weary or tired God cannot be relied upon to consistently answer our prayer. Again, I'm sure glad that God does not take days off. So let's go back to verse 18, and the end of verse 18 is actually the opposite of 1 plus 1 equals 3, that, you know, woke mathematical problem that we just established at the beginning. What we know about Jesus is objective, not subjective. What we know about Jesus is not our opinion, it's who he says he is objectively here in his word. The world may call Jesus a lunatic, The world might just consider Jesus to be a prophet. However, we know that he is much more. As he himself, as it says, is equal with God. And this is why we read in verse 16 last week where it said, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. And they wanted to what? They wanted to kill him. In our text today, they're persecuting him as well because he was making himself, as it says here, 
equal with God, which is evident when he says this, my father until now is working and I myself am working. That's verse 17 from last week, which also makes it evident when he says he was calling God his own father. He's making himself equal with God, all because he revealed that his work mirrored his father's work. When Jesus works, God works. When God works, Jesus works. So as we continue on this journey to describe and explain these five points, we're going to move to that second point in verses 19 through 20. And that second point, again, it says Jesus is equal to God in works. Now, for the Jews, the words of Jesus up until this point are blasphemous. He's already claimed to be equal with God, and now John records specific examples of how so. Because look at the end of verse 19. It says, For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in the same way. For whatever the Father does would actually have to include creation. That's right. Jesus created the heavens and the earth. Again, he's clearly claiming to be God himself. The actions of Jesus mirror the actions of God. John chapter 12, verse 45 tells us as much, where it says, Jesus said to him, Have I been with you for so long a time, and not yet you have not come to know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father, as he remains in me, does what? Does what? His works. Do you recognize what's going on here? See, what's going on here is the Jews are seeking to persecute Jesus. And if they're seeking to persecute and kill Jesus, what that means is they're seeking to persecute and kill God. The, the same God in which they claimed to worship. All because he revealed that his work mirrored his father's work. So as we jump back to verses 19 through 20, let's just observe verse 20 where it says, For the father loves the son. This is not agapo Love, the love of will or choice. We've, we've all heard of that Greek word, agape love. It's not that type of love. This is phileo love or phileo, the love of deep feelings. In fact, right here in John chapter 5, verse 20, it's the only time throughout the entire New Testament that phileo is used to describe the Father's love of the Son. The verb tense for this word of love is present, meaning that this love is uninterrupted, meaning that this love is all-knowing, meaning that this love is not ignorant, meaning that Jesus is fully aware of God's will. Fully aware, 100%. Meaning that if Jesus says he's equal to God, then he's equal to him in work Two, and Jesus is going to prove it as it's recorded right here where it says, and the Father will show him greater works than these so that you will be amazed. It's, it's like saying, you know, like Jesus is almost like saying to them, like, what, you're impressed that I healed a lame man? 
You're impressed by that? You're astonished that I claim to be God, but you say these things cannot be all because I just did these works on the Sabbath? Just, just, just wait. Just wait, because I'm going to show you things that will blow your mind. And then he continues by saying that he too can raise the dead. And this brings us to that third point. In verse 21, Jesus is equal to God in power. And he does so very clearly right here in verse 21. He's claiming he can too raise the dead. Now, from a biblical perspective and from the Torah in which the, these Jewish re, uh, leaders would have read, we need to go to Deuteronomy chapter 32 and look at verse 39, where it says, See now that I, I am He, and there is no God beside me. It is I who put to death and give life. I have wounded, and it is I who heal, and there is no one who can save anyone from my hand. Just like God gives life and raises the dead, Jesus, Jesus himself gives life and raises the dead. Brothers and sisters, before we continue any further, then we must be reminded that this is actually what separates Christianity from every other man-made religion in the world. This is what makes us Christians. I mean, first it's our faith in Jesus, but it's our faith in the fact that he is God in human flesh. Every other religion in the world would never allow this to be so. And we're being sustained on his works, not our works. That's the gospel. We stand before the Lord in confidence someday because of our faith in Jesus, his person, and his works. So as we go back to verse 21, what Jesus gives is actually spiritual life. That's what he gives. We know this is true because we also know what it's like to be spiritually dead, don't we? Those of us who have a saving faith in Jesus understand what it's like to go from death into life spiritually. We know what it means to be born again, which we covered in John 3 with Nicodemus and Jesus when he told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Again, remember the spiritual water Jesus described to the woman at the well. He exposed all of her sinfulness. She became spiritually alive and she subsequently repented. Remember she went back into the town? and told everybody, you've got to come meet this man that's told me everything that I've ever done. That's repenting. That's her admitting her sinfulness. And there's not one of us that can't relate with her. There's not one of us that can't relate with one another. This is all of us. We're all sinful. We all need a Savior. But a Savior who is not God cannot save. Jesus saves because He is God and He's gone on record right here in John 5 and claimed as much. And that message just might get you persecuted. That message in which you have faith in might just bring some pain and suffering to your life. But your hope isn't in this life. Your hope is in your life to come. 
Verse 22 brings us to our fourth point this morning, which states that Jesus is equal to God in judgment. At this point, it is quite evident that Jesus equals God. We've established that. Therefore, we know that Jesus too judges the earth. We know this from 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 33, where God's word tells us, Then the trees of the forest will sing for joy in the presence of the Lord, for He is coming to judge the earth. So as we go back to verse 22, God and Jesus, we must understand this, God and Jesus are in perfect harmony, which is why He has given all judgment, as it says right here, to His Son. God's judgment is Jesus' judgment, just like Jesus' judgment is God's judgment. Now, we understand in John chapter 3, verse 17, we covered this a few weeks ago. I'm just going to read it for you really quickly. It states, For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but so that the world might be saved through Him. However, when Jesus returns, He will return to judge the world. We know this is true from 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, where God's Word states this, And to give relief to you who are afflicted, along with us when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels, in flaming fire dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. The Lord will judge this world through the Antichrist. That is one way in which the Lord will judge the world. It's not the final way in which He's going to judge the world. But the Antichrist will be used as part of God's judgment on the world. There will be so much unrest that this world will look everywhere for relief but Jesus. They will seek the Antichrist who will only offer false peace. Brothers and sisters, the same word that says Jesus equals God is the same word that says the final battle, the battle of Armageddon, the battle between God and the forces of evil will also take place in Israel on Mount Megiddo. So just observe what's going on in Israel right now, present day. Just look at everything that you see going on in Israel between Israel and Hamas and Hezbollah and the other Arab countries in the Middle East. Look at everything that's going on and just know that the stage is being set. That's an encouragement to us. As we see this stage being set, the same word that told us what was going to happen, and now we start seeing actions leading up to what's eventually going to happen someday is the same word that has told us that Jesus equals God. That gives me confidence. That gives me confidence knowing that persecution may just come. That gives me confidence knowing that suffering may just come. We discussed earlier this morning... Even if you look at the world currently, it's split down the middle with this conflict that we're talking about in the Middle East. This conflict specifically in Israel. The world is divided. 
There are protests in this country. It's either you're for Palestine or you're for Israel. I will go on record and say here at Villa's Grace Church, we are definitely for Israel, but we're for Israel because it's part of God's will. It's part of God's will and His judgment on the world. We support God's will each and every time. We support His will because within that will, it's an opportunity for us and others, and we need to be praying for others, especially in that region, for Jesus to be proclaimed as God Himself so people can come to a saving faith. But we pray for peace. We don't pray for peace through political measures. We know that Scripture tells us that that will be false peace. It'll be used midway through the tribulation. And then Israel will let down its guard and be attacked again. We pray for the return of Jesus. The return of Jesus is the only peace. The return of Jesus will bring sustaining eternal peace. The stage is being set though. So don't be fooled when peace is talked about. Don't be fooled when peace is promised. But peace will not be achieved until Jesus judges this world. Finally, we have our fifth point this morning. In verses 23 through 24, we understand that Jesus is equal to God in honor. You can also say that Jesus is equal to God in glory. I want to read this quote from John MacArthur who says this, The Father's honor is not diminished by the honor paid to Christ. On the contrary, it is enhanced. Those who honor God but reject Jesus are actually deceived. To honor God is to honor Jesus. Now, again, we did state that opinions are dangerous. Opinions are subjective, and we want objective truth, don't we? We want objective, absolute truth, so we go to God's Word in the book of Isaiah, chapter 42, verse 8, to get that objective truth to back up that statement that we just made, because it says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to idols. God's not going to give His glory to another. So if Jesus is God, if Jesus is equal to God, then He's equal to God in glory. He's equal to God in honor. God will not relinquish His glory to another individual. So we know with, beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus does in fact equal God. And we also know that this is true because of what Paul writes in Philippians. So as Joe comes up and joins me and we close out this morning, I want to read this from Philippians for you. It states this, For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Whether humanity likes it or not, everyone will eventually one day give Jesus the honor He's due. Jumping back to verses 23 through 24, Jesus closes out again by declaring that only He can give life 
He ends our verses this morning by saying this. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you that the one who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. So really, with that being said this morning, I I only have three questions for you. Do you believe in he who sent Jesus? Do you believe what Jesus says about eternal life? Or do you want to mess around with unrest and find judgment? Again, this is the reason why we've stated everything that we've stated about Jesus this morning. Our main idea states this. Jesus is equal to God in person, in works, power, judgment, and honor. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the work that we see you doing. We pray for the work that you have for us, Lord. Prepare us for your work. Prepare us for the work that you have for us that will allow us to proclaim Jesus as Savior because he is God. We want to pray for those that aren't with us today, Lord. Be with them. Coming to mind currently is Martha Clemens. We want to continue to pray for her healing. And just pray for us as we continue to learn more about you and learn how to apply your truth to our lives. And we pray this because Jesus himself has made it possible. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.